Hi, my name is Deborah Ogden and I would like to welcome you to this third season of On Brand With. The idea behind this podcast has always been to bring you into my world of personal brand and impact and hopefully bring it to life through the experiences and stories of me and my guests. One of the things I've learned over the years is that we all have a story to tell. And over the coming episodes, I'll be chatting to some more people that I know and admire and some that I don't know. And I'll be asking them to share their stories and how they use their personal brands to really make an impact. We'll be exploring what best practice looks like in the real world. So let's begin. So I'm here today with Mike Edwards of Northern Affinity, of which I'm a member. We can talk about that a little bit more. But um, Mike, I just wanted to start with, I did a bit of research like I always do before I chat with my guests. And somebody had written on your um, recommendations on LinkedIn. I can see you looking worried. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope it's not too much research into me else I could be in trouble. Yeah. Um, No, I wouldn't do that. (laughs) Um, It says he always listens. He's always listening, acting and improving. And I thought, what a fabulous piece of feedback. Somebody that always listens and they act on it and are always looking to improve. And, you know, sometimes we take feedback and we don't always act on it or we don't even take the feedback. And I just wondered where that comes from. Well, thanks for inviting me on to the podcast anyway. Um, Land you straight into the deep end. Um, it's, do you know what? It's probably because, naturally, I don't take feedback well. Um, I don't probably particularly like taking feedback. and Well, unless it's really nice, I guess. Um, I, I probably feel a little bit uncomfortable getting it. and But I'm aware of it's something that's important um, to be able to improve. Mm-hmm get better at what you do you know when, when we're providing a we've got a business sorry that provides a service for people yeah. it needs to be always improving and evolving because you know i can have ideas i can have thoughts and i can have beliefs on what is good but that's just one person's and listening to other people and what they think will work now you ask 100 people and you'll get 100 different opinions of course you will but trying to bring those together under the guise of whatever business, in my case, you have, is what I try to do. Can't do everything, obviously. Mm. And can't listen. Well, no, I can't listen to everything. We can't act upon everything. Um, but it is it's important. Um, and I think I'm more than aware that there is a lot of people who are more intelligent, better at things than me. So why wouldn't I listen to them um, if they can give good ideas and I can use that for my benefit? Then then great. You know, it's funny, there's, um, I think I put it out on Instagram this week, but um, I subscribed to Simon Sinek's email uh, list. And I can't remember, I'm paraphrasing now, but he put something about why wouldn't you ask for help? It's It's the fool that doesn't ask for help. It's the genius that taps into other people's expertise is basically what he was saying. And when you were talking then, that's what it made me think about. Absolutely. You know, whatever we're talking about, whatever walk of life, business or other things, there's 
there's bound to be someone who knows more than me or you or everybody about a particular subject area. So why not take it? And different perspectives are so important. Um, you know, we were kind of talking about this before we started recording yeah. the podcast as well, that having just different views, you can. it's very easy, and I know I'm like this, to get entrenched in what you are doing in the, in the day-to-day, really, and to be able to, as much as you try to have an overview and look down on your own activities, it's not always easy. Mm-hmm. So somebody else can provide that sometimes. So, yeah, as, as much as I can. As I said, it's uncomfortable feedback sometimes. I don't, I don't think, you know, especially negative feedback, nobody particularly likes that. And something I've tried to teach myself is not, to take any of that personally because mm. actually most people they are trying to give feedback it, it's coming from a good place most people um, yeah. and take it on face value sometimes uh, yeah I, th- I think I struggle with they always say don't they that your strength too much of a strength can become a weakness mm. and one of the things that I struggle with with feedback is that I can be quite you know I get an idea and I, and I chase it and I'll follow it and sometimes I can be a little bit there's my way in the wrong way and <laughs> I think we're all like that Dara. I don't I think that, I don't there's many people not like that to a certain extent yeah and I think that's where feedback is important isn't it and to actively seek the feedback and I just thought it was just such a a lovely uh it was the fact that it was always listening as well so it was as if you were intentionally always seeking that feedback as well yeah, and I think, and I'll be honest, I've not always been like that, and I don't think, and I, I think doing what I do now with, with the Northern Infinity stuff, it, it kind of has to be like that. You know, mm. we're all about the people who are in it. That's mm. what matters. So if you're not listening to those people who are in it, then, you know, it's not going to work. Mm. So I don't think it's a natural thing for me. I, probably for a lot of people it isn't as mm. well. It probably is a relatively recent thing. Mm. Um but I probably did identify it's something that for the business it has to be like that, whether I like it or not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not always feel comfortable with it, but <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's important and I always will be like that. And I, I think, you know, like, like I said, the only way you can improve, whether it's personal or professional, is listen to people. Yeah, and um, somebody else had put, he makes time for everyone and that fits very well. So talking about the Northern Affinity um, I won't put words in your mouth. I mean, it's about cl- collaboration and community, isn't it? Yep. So where did that come from? Well, it kind of, so I, I kind of going back a little bit, I, when I set, first set up my own business coming towards five years ago now, um, so I, I come from a finance background and that, that's the area I went into when I first started a business was, it's an obvious step, isn't it? You go into the area you know, um, and I was kind of getting out there and, doing all the various things that you do when you're going out to events and networking and all that kind of stuff. And I found it quite frustrating. Um, I felt that it was, um, there was other ways of doing it. Mm. It was very um, one-dimensional and maybe quite old-fashioned mm. in, in a lot of cases. And that doesn't necessarily mean it was bad because I think it works for some people and that's fine. There's not a criticism, but it felt like the, there was whether it's platforms online and things like that that you could use to supplement what you were doing in person. I, I felt like there was something, and it kind of came an idea what eventually became the Northern, the Northern Affinity, kind of niggling away at the back of my head. Mm. And you know, I was I continued to do the finance stuff and for about 18 months or so into doing that, I kind of had this moment where I was like, I really don't like 
doing finance. It was kind of like a <laughs> bit of that light bulb moment, like in a cartoon. I'm like, oh, um, I really like running my own business, but I don't like the finance mm. stuff. And it was kind of like, well, what on earth do I do now? And um, how would you end it up with? Is that what you did at university, or so that might, I did a business degree at university, mm. and I, like anyone came to a job and started working for a finance um, a credit reference agency when I first finished university mm. in two thousand and five, and that kind of went through till to joining a big bank um, in two thousand and nine. I think it was. So mm. I was there five or six years, so it's just it was very much accidental. I think like most people, um, and kind of just you just do what you know don't you for, for all it's just easier to do that and, and it comes hard so often i hear people say that you know once you start earning a good salary and you know you have mm. a mortgage and you might start paying school fees or have yep. commitments or or whatever it is all of a sudden you're on going down a, a route a track that is very difficult to start to change isn't it you know you're absolutely right i remember looking various points during that time mm. of you know change in a career and it wasn't like I was desperately unhappy doing what I was doing by any stretch but I think like most people you always had to look at different options and it felt like there was nowhere to go apart from within the world you were in and to then go and try something new like like you quite rightly said you know drop 30% off your annual salary you know mm. there might be times in your life when you can do that but there's also times when you, you can't um, mm. so you just it's easier to continue on that road um, and that's very much what I did even when I went into self-employment. That that still happened because yeah, I guess you, know, you kind of just do what you know, as I mentioned. And yeah, so kind of going back to the whole Northern Affinity idea, kind of well, what became the Northern Affinity, should I say, was sat there in my head. Um, and when that light bulb moment happened, they're like, what, what on earth do I do now? Mm. The kind of, the, okay, well, this thing that I've been thinking about, what does that actually mean? And And actually goes back to your first point about listening to people actually the, the very first thing i did was well i continued running the business i was running but i spent about two or three months going contacting the people who i would met over the years mm. and just basically telling them my idea this is what i'm thinking of doing and getting their thoughts and feedback and ideas and as you can imagine the idea evolved a hundred times in those three three months or so that i was doing that and people give me all sorts of great suggestions and that type of thing. And then all of a sudden it got to a point where, I, you know, I could keep doing this forever, talking to people about it. I need to kind of yeah. draw a line in the sand and, and put something together. Um, that That's the that's the big moment, isn't it, where the ideas become... Yeah, it had to become a thing mm. um, eventually. And that so that kind of was in the summer of 2019. I've lost track of time now. I think like most so people... is that... During COVID, during no, the pandemic, the year bef before so, the pandemic. Yeah, so it was yeah. probably, kind of, of the idea yeah. was roughly a year before the pandemic. So it was a, I remember it was about March course, time, March 2019. Yeah. Um, kind of spent the next three or four months doing that, as I said, kind of going around talking to people, developing the idea. Mm. Um, then in the summer of that year, I did a bit of a, essentially a kind of a soft launch of the business with, with maybe about 15 or 20 people. Um, and that and that kind of works quite nicely, and, and obviously again evolved from there before properly launching it in the September of 2019. So kind of going right back to your feedback thing, there's mm. it's a bit of a circle there. That 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 was part big part of that process. And the interesting thing was that when I did come to launch it, obviously I, 
I went back to the people who I'd spoken to and told them I'm doing it. And a lot of them got involved in the Northern Affinity yeah. and a lot of them are still involved in the Northern Affinity. So, you know, and I think it was, well, hopefully they, they felt part of the idea. They were, they were bought into what, what it was about and the, the basic ideas behind it. Um, now it's evolved a lot even since then. It's unrecognisable yeah. in two and a half years or so from there. Um, but yeah, it's all started from there and um, it feels like a bit kind of longer and shorter than the two and a half years or so I've been doing it. But I suppose most people feel like that. Yeah. Did you always want to have your own business? Do you come from an entrepreneurial background? Um, I hadn't really thought about it, mm. I'll be honest. Um, I mean, like I touched on earlier, I did a business degree. Mm. Um, now, that kind of comes from... So my dad had his own business mm -hmm. from, I think he was 15 when he... Right, he, okay. Um, set up on a market stall with my uncle um, and did that until he sold the business. God, it must have been, what, 40, 50 years later, nearly. But he had that business for an I Every school holiday, things like that, when I was younger, I'd go work in the warehouse or go delivering stuff to the sh to the shops they had and things like that. So I, I probably without knowing, I'd been in that world mm. and kind of seen things that, and that kind of then started when at school I... I remember at 14 starting business studies because it's one of those things you do a little bit later and I just got it. Mm. I just got mm. it. Like my, my GCSEs, I was something like 97% and right. my A-levels, 90 or really high. It was my thing that I just, I just, you know, I found it really, really easy and I think... I wonder if that's because you'd had that, you know, that time immersed in a business and therefore there were concepts that actually were second nature to you. I 100% think it was context. Mm, so it's yeah. like anything when theory gets thrown in, it's fine. I understood the context of it. Yeah. I, I could see because I've been brought up in that world, and, I, and that's what I think it just it naturally just resonated with me. I understood mm. when it talked about balance sheets and um, and all, even all the marketing type mm. side of things. It just made sense to me. Mm. Um, it was the thing I found easiest out of anything at school. Um, so that, that obviously led through to, like I said, GCSEs, A-level, and then my degree uh, in the business. So it probably was the start of it. So it, is, it probably was probably subconsciously there. Mm. Um, I didn't... I think if you asked me, Daddy, to tell me not to do that. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it can be pretty stressful. And I don't think I was particularly happy when I told him I was going to do it. Um, but, you know, it probably has come from that. And, I, you know, I, I saw the hours and the time that he put in for all those years in when I was growing up. so. And has um, he been a sounding board for you? No, I've never talked about business with him, ever. Mm. Um, my, my dad never, I, I can't remember him ever mentioning anything about business when he came home. He, 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 he kind of wanted to forget all about it. He never talked about it. I'm sure he did with my mum when we yeah. were there and things like that. But for me, I never, I don't think I've ever spoken to him about it apart like bits obviously when I did work for like in the warehouse and things like that but yeah. only in those contexts of doing what you're doing on the day um, I find that fascinating actually because I've never thought about this and you know there are topics that come up on the podcast many many times and I don't think this ever has but my dad is very much a sounding board so I still ring him now and um or, you know, he gets like, you know, he always wants to know what's happening in my mm. business. And if I've got a big presentation, he asks about it and they listen to all my podcasts and give me feedback. <laughs> and, uh, and, but actually, I don't really 
my husband and I don't discuss business. I think that comes partly because we always had quite public jobs. So him yeah. being a journalist and when I worked at Old Trafford, it was quite a public job. So we didn't bring work home. But even now, we very rarely talk work at home. And it's funny, isn't it? I've never thought about that before. I know that I do at home talk about work, but I also, there's a lot of times where I don't even want to even think about it. Once mm-hmm. I've stopped, I'm, I want to be off. And I, mean, I think part of that reason is because actually my brain, I'm not, I'm not off. I'm, I'm one of those people, yeah. my brain's always ticking with things. So actually I like trying to at least have an illusion myself that I'm not <laughs> thinking about it, try and forget about it. Um, and probably has come from my dad, obviously, but I've never really thought about it before. Yeah. I know he was like, I, like, like I said, I'm sure he did talk about things with my mum when we weren't there, but I never can remember him ever talking about what was going on um, mm. in the business. I, I, I am like that I sometimes. I often say, I don't want to talk about it. I just don't want to talk about it. I want to forget about it. Um, it's because, yeah, because probably, like I said, it's a bit of an illusion to myself, really, because I know my brain is thinking about it. So I'm, it's kind of me telling myself off as much as anything yeah. else. So, um, so that sort of sounds quite disciplined and sounds like you have some very clear boundaries. And I know I was... Irish. Um, <laughs> is that not the case? Uh, I try to get better. Um, I think I think I do have boundaries, and I actually very rarely work from home. Probably very unusual for a lot of people at the moment. Mm. Um, I don't like working from home, and I think that's because I try to have them boundaries. But I, like I said, I think it is because I, my brain is ticking over with things. I feel like I have to do something about it. Mm. I can't mm. switch on and off mm. easily, so. Like the, I'm sure there are people who will go and I don't know, do an hour's work on a night, check a few emails and things like that. I, if I do that, I then struggle to. I can't okay. just do it and come off. So I, I have to try and create a boundary. Um, so it's not so much the discipline; it's I have to do it. Do you, so, do you switch off on holiday? Uh, I've got better at it. Yeah. The last couple of times, been away. Um, I think actually since um, employing people, mm. before I employed someone, no, I didn't. Yeah. Um, I think that's helped massively. The first time I had employees and I went away, I was so-so. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last couple of times, I've been a lot better. So I guess it's that kind of feeling of things are still happening, even though I'm not doing it, um, which wouldn't have, you know, when it was just me to, for the first 18 months or whatever it was, um, that wasn't the case. So, yeah. Oh, did, sorry. No, I was just going to say, did you always know you'd have a team then? Was it always going to be bring people in? or? No, I think more actually I wanted to go more down. One of the ideas behind the Northern Affinity was that you would outsource everything you do within mm. in the group, and there is some things I've done with that. Mm. Um, for, for me, the employment opportunities really came when the kickstart scheme that the government officer that was a reaction to the pandemic really it was it was like an opportunity then well why not mm-hmm. um I, I knew it got to the point where i needed some support at that point so kind of the timing was was good with that um i, I think i still want i would rather go down more of an outsourcing type route yeah. generally i'm not saying for i think a mix is yeah. probably the best probably the most obvious mm. route um if i don't know if i'd have employed anyone by now if it wasn't for the kickstart i don't I don't know, probably not actually. Um, but the opportunity arose, so, so took it. So, but to me, outsourcing 
I prefer because I think there's that flexibility with it. So that sort of fits the uh, Northern Affinity model as well, doesn't Absolutely. it? So, you know, that community, um, that collaboration. And the one thing, and we were talking about this before we came on mic, but the one thing that um, really struck me when we had a first conversation was, you know, obviously I'm all about personal branding <laughs> and buying into people, was that I bought into you and your values, and we'll pick up on that in a minute, but everybody that I've met within the Northern Affinity, they're all very different, but they all have those shared values. And I'm not quite sure what those shared values are. <laughs> but, um, you know, somebody said, another, somebody else had said, you know, he makes time for everybody. And I think there's a feel of that even within the Northern Affinity. I mean, I've mentioned on the podcast before the book, The Go Giver. You know, it's it's not about. I don't know. Have you read it? The Go Giver. I, I know. I haven't read it actually, but I do. It's on my bookshelf, oh, like a lot of books. Are, yeah, yeah you, you'll read it in a night. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. And some people are very transactional in the way that they do work, and it's well, what's in it for me? And then you get other people that are just they believe in the abundance of getting out there and support and listening and and I just feel that the Northern Affinity has that in every person you come across yeah i think it's interesting obviously you mentioned values there and that's something i, I think is is important and i think you're kind of right that it's hard to actually pinpoint what those values are mm. and that's not necessarily a bad thing um i for me it's a it's, I've, I've kind of partially tongue-in-cheek said to people a number of times i don't really care about what you do i care about who you are mm. now the reality is it, a lot of people, what they do is an extension of who they are, and it matters, of course it does. But it's about the people. Like, mm. we, we don't have businesses in the Northern Affinity. We have a group of people who happen to, in a lot of cases, really run their own business or work for a business. And that's really important, but it's about the individual. Um, and it's a really easy thing to say, but just decent people. And how do you define that? You know, that's mm. it's impossible. Isn't it? And that means different things to different people, I guess. But... And that kind of you mentioned the word collaboration earlier. I think that's quite a quite very overused and you by a lot of people phrase it. But there's there's a point to it in terms of if you are kind of person who thinks collaboratively, I have to say it slowly because that's the only way I can say it. <laughs> um, is actually that brings out another other values in you as a person. It, it's that. Um, again, you were using the word community earlier. Being part of a community. Mm sharing with people helping people i think that's what collaborative thinking people do that they're, they're not just about there's not the tunnel vision on what just what they are doing and what they're about they understand the bigger picture mm. um you know I've, I've seen it a lot with a lot of people in our group that are, they've got a business and they're trying to grow it and that that's really really important but they've also often got a different oh sorry a, a secondary cause or a, sec a thing that matters to them it might be it might be a charity it might be helping young people um it might be supporting their local area whatever it is and all really valid and important things but they're not just about that one thing they're mm. about something else the bigger picture so i think it kind of all plays into the same same values for yeah, people 
It's that purpose, isn't it? And I've been listening to, and I know you listen to lots of podcasts, and I can't remember which podcast I was listening to. It might have been, well, I'm not going to even guess, but <laughs> they were talking about purpose, and they were talking about purpose with a big P, so yeah. saving the world kind of purpose. But then they were also talking about purpose with a small P, and that's that, well, I do it because this has happened to me in my life or I do it because this is my charity or... And I thought that was really interesting that we need that bigger bigger picture, but it's that macro and micro, isn't it, in some ways? Yeah, and I think this come back, for, for me personally, I know I had a little bit to what we mentioned in earlier um, about my experiences and my dad running his own business. So one of the big things for me is small businesses people who run small businesses more accurately matter to mm. me and I think I, and I want to see people do well and I think that's a lot of that comes from I understand how hard it is I've, I've seen like I said I've seen that all my life mm. how hard and how time consuming and stressful it can be mm. um, but I've also seen the, the kind of reward that comes from that and what can come from it mm. so for me that that's something if I can do or provide a service that can just help in any little way towards mm. that you know as you know i've mentioned to you before we talked about aspirations mm. um if it doesn't matter what your aspirations are it doesn't matter everyone's a different there's no good or bad aspirations to me some people if just just replace an income and 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 have something that makes them happy and they work 25 hours a week and then there's other people who want to rule the world everyone has a different aspiration it doesn't matter what that are what that is sorry um but they're doing it if you can help or provide something that helps them mm. along that way then that's what i want to do so i think for me that kind of going back to that that was for me that matters um and that was part of the reason the whole northern affinity idea came about mm. um was all that 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 purpose stuff as you as you quite rightly said and there's so many things and causes and i'd love to get behind there's only so much you can do yeah um but that's that type of thing seems to matter to a lot of people in in our community um and that's what i think binds them i think that kind of brings out a bit of a characteristic in people yeah i think you're right and actually i'm sat here thinking of the people that and i'm a relatively new member um and i don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing hopefully it's but a good thing. I, <laughs> um, i'm gonna say it anyway <laughs> um i can think of the people but there are some people i don't actually know what their businesses are or i haven't got absolute clarity i sort of know what mm -hmm. they do but I know the people, and I certainly couldn't tell you what their businesses were called. I know the people, and um, I think that's the nature of that community, but also one of the things I've learned, and again, I suppose it's the nature of my business, that I rebranded mine as Deborah Ogden Limited because nobody could ever tell me the name of my business. They only <laughs> knew me, yeah. and if you are a um, business owner that is particularly delivering services then people do buy into you obviously they do but I think the other thing is that it's bringing everybody together under that in that community and having that support network so it can be such a lonely place being Absolutely. a business owner and I know I think the final decision for me came I think we had a conversation about October time when people were starting to get back out there. Mm. And um, I've mentioned on here before, I think, you know, my husband's 
had carried on working throughout. Uh, my son went back to school and all of a sudden I had that groundhog day of, oh, I'm in the back bedroom <laughs> again, you know, because I'd given up my office and I needed to get myself back out there. And it was those conversations that I was missing with other people and going back to your piece before about other people's expertise, just hearing other conversations <laughs> and other people's experiences can just spark that just inspire you can't it it absolutely can and like like you said i mean obviously your, your expertise is personal branding and i mean mm -hmm. what you've said there about some of the people you know them but you maybe not know too much about what they do but over time you will get to know what they do mm -hmm. and if you know that person first and foremost and like and trust them it, it, yeah. that kind of detail if you like uh, important detail but detail in terms of what they do that can be found really really simply and all of a sudden, you know, there's someone there that you um, potentially that can trust, and, and there's all sorts of things that can happen from that. And that, I suppose, is pretty pretty well kind of summed up what you're trying to achieve with the Northern Affinity yeah. Railway. And I, I think that's a good thing. I like yeah. that um, because, it, you know, I talk I talk a lot about transactional networking versus organic networking. Mm -hmm. And again, there's no bad or wrong. There's different ways of doing these things. And what I see what we do is organic. Mm -hmm. it, it takes a bit of time. It's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to get these immediate results. And that, you know, mm -hmm. as long as people know that, that's fine. But I'm hoping that the longer term benefits and results will be greater because as long as you've taken that time. And that's been very much the the aim. Yeah, and, and as you said before, and again, we've had this conversation before about collaboration. So I've, I, I remember in our, it all came about because I said, well, I'm not, I don't know if I'm the greatest collaborator. <laughs> and you, you challenged me on that and said, actually, Deborah, you know, it's not just about delivering something together, which I do find more challenging. But the nature of my work is that I do collaborate with people and I have, I call my own personal board of directors that I tap into and ask their opinion and they're my trusted advisors and but so many of those people I got to know as people rather than having a commercial relationship with them I'm just thinking of somebody particularly Michelle Cowan that we yep. both know and Michelle and I met because she um, had the Two Northern Lasses podcast. Yep. We were introduced and then we had a coffee and we chatted. And Michelle and I have never done any commercial transactional business together. But I think we would both say, and we're both obviously members of Northern Affinity, we would both say we would support each other yep. in the way we go about it. And I think those are the areas that often can be overlooked when it comes to supporting and collaboration that um you know even if it's only a like on social media or a comment yeah, on social yeah. media but just understanding recommending referring have you thought about talking to those for me are the conversations that so far i've had in northern affinity that are absolutely priceless that you can't can't put a, a, a figure on them. Absolutely. And the thing about collaboration is if you are a, a, I'm sure someone will probably point out when I'm wrong about this, but if you're a service-led business, you've got to collaborate because mm. essentially you're collaborating with your customers. Mm. That, you know, that that's, unless you're a transaction like a website and selling widgets, then you are collaborating to an extent. If you've got someone 
looking after your marketing or looking at or you've got a virtual PA or whatever it is, you are collaborating. You might not call it that, but that's essentially what it is. So I think anybody like, you know, you're a, you've got a service-led business that you do collaborate. And so there is, like I say, it's not just about service delivery. It's that the day-to-day stuff. And I think that's what's important. I, I feel very lucky that, you know, my job essentially is going around chatting to people. Um, I wish it was just that because that'd be great. <laughs> if that's literally all I did. I didn't have to do any other stuff that you had to do when you were in a business. But that that is the best stuff. It's that just being in at, when we're at events or just anything, just or just generally talking to people, doing things like this, just talking to people about yeah. their business, what they do in their lives as well. Because you know the pandemic is is has been an example where we probably quite going back to the transactional versus organic. You know. I'm sure a lot of us spent a lot of time on Zoom when I know I did, is those conversations were quite transactional. Yeah, of course. You got on and you had the conversation. That was great. It was nice. But you don't quite have that stuff that you do when you meet in person and, and be in those type of more informal environments. You don't probably maybe talk about... Cricket and football. Cricket like and we football. Did. We did for about two hours, didn't we? Yeah. Um, or what was on telly last night. All that other stuff. Yeah. You don't really get down to that stuff and that and that and obviously you need the business side of it as well but collaborating sometimes is just having a chat with someone i think and it's nice you can't, can't be on it all the time um anybody who's had spent seven hours a day on zoom like i stupidly did many times during the pandemic it's really exhausting it's really hard work i i like having like being able to go up and down if you like the yeah. gears in terms of the conversations it makes the day better and that, to me, that's that's an example of collaborating as well. And also, even with um, sort of a, a client relationship as well, often, and not as much these days, but certainly when I set out working in professional services, people would say, oh, well, does it... Because you, you've described there, it's not what people do, actually. It's how they do it mm-hmm. and who they are. And that's my absolute definition of personal branding. So... You know, there are many, many social media experts out there, but there are some people that you will connect with from a personality point of view yeah. and you'll like the way they do it. And that that is the sweet spot. And a lot of people will say, oh, well, actually, it doesn't matter. It can be transactional. But you think about you have a relationship with a, with a lawyer and actually quite often... When you've got a relationship with a lawyer, it's a quite a, a traumatic time in your life or a, a critical time yes. in your life. And yes, you want somebody who knows their stuff on the other side of the table, but you also somebody want want somebody who can trust that's got your best interest. Yeah. And for me, that's where the profession has evolved over the last few years and I'm using law as an example but even accountancy so many of the service professions people are understanding that you know what quite often we can have done our research on Google before we end up in front of a uh, an expert so it's that trust it's that hand holding it's that guidance those human skills that are actually critical well, I think there's another dynamic to it as well. Is is and you're abs- I think you're spot on there as well. Is it's it's okay to have fun and enjoy yourself. Oh, it needs to spark joy. That is my belief. <laughs> you know, there's like I said, transactional things that happen, and, and there's obviously parts of his life when they happen and they're necessary. That's fine. But 
to build a relationship in a business environment, it's okay to have, like, obviously we were kind of joking there about talking about football mm. and cricket for two hours, but that, you know, I'd rather talk about football and cricket for two hours than just about mm. anything else. <laughs> but that's enjoyable and that's important as well. Like, mm. There's this kind of, this kind of belief that we always have to be on it and it always has to be around serious subjects. And obviously there's times when it does, but there's times when it's okay to talk about things that are less serious and, and have fun mm-hmm. whilst doing something. Um, you know, we, something we're very keen to incorporate into the events and things like that. We do, we do. Sorry, is, is have fun and enjoy yourself. That's all right. You know, you did the Bake Off. I did. I was just um, thinking that. Day yeah, we did in, in January. We're, we're doing some sheep herding in May, in and that's important. And you're still doing the networking stuff. You're still, you're still getting to know people. You're still building a relationship with people. But you're doing it in a nice, fun environment. And you can't do that all the time because you never get anything worked on. <laughs> and there needs to be a, a balance, of course, it does. But that's also okay. And I think that's sometimes where we forget about it. It, can, it seems to be really low on the priorities, having fun. Um, and I think it maybe should be a little bit higher. And if you have fun, you, I think generally you perform better. So I'm going to ask because I, I promised that um, I wouldn't talk too much football and cricket, <laughs> but I just want to ask you. So Mike is a Liverpool fan, and how long have you been watching Liverpool? So I went to my first game in 1990. I was seven years old. <laughs> it gives away my age, doesn't it? Um, I can't do quick maths, as my son would say. But <laughs> I'm approaching 40 this year, so there's a maths for you. Um, I, um, yeah, I'm a season ticket holder at Liverpool, so I spend quite a lot of my time driving over on the M62. So how did um, you come to be a Liverpool fan? That comes from my dad. Is he from that end? No. no. So my dad brought, I remember he brought me home a Liverpool shirt. Um, and I read I remember it happened because there was a there must have been obviously football on TV in the it must have been the late eighties. Wasn't much on, was it? That they match had FA the Cup games and, and yeah, things like that. Yeah. And there was a match on, and I, I still remember it now. It was Liverpool Tottenham, and um, John Barnes was playing, and it was like it was like watching like poetry in motion. <laughs> watching watching him play. And I, I remember being absolutely transfixed watching him play football, and that. That was it for me, and I remember then nagging him. I really want to go to a match. Do you want mm. to go to a match? Um, and he kind of dismissed me. And then in, in the summer of yeah, to uh, nineteen ninety, the, literally the night before. By the way, we've got tickets for Wembley tomorrow for the Charity Shield, Liverpool and Man United. So that was Mike's first experience. You know, start <laughs> start softly. Um, the only downfall was we were in the Man United end. <laughs> And I remember all the way down on the train to London being told if Liverpool scored, don't celebrate. Um, Liverpool scored after I think it was 12 minutes. It was early on in the game anyway. And you can imagine as a seven-year-old boy, I didn't listen to my dad and jumped up (laughs) and cheered. Um, Fortunately, um, everyone was absolutely fine. Um, And maybe some people listen to this, you know, football was a very different place in the late 80s, early 90s to what it is now. And as someone who goes all the time now, lots of family, lots of kids... Um, mix of male and female, which is great. In 1990, that wasn't the case. Um, mm. So kind of, I, I look back now, I'm amazed they even let me go. Mm. Um, but yes, I've been going, yeah, pretty much ever since, travelling all over, up and down the country, up and down all over Europe um, to games with my dad. And that's, uh, me and my dad still go um, all the but time. But isn't that something wonderful about sport that... Um 
whether you're a football fan or cricket fan. I mean, I, I so I was, I would have been in the Manchester United <laughs> end, and uh, I went at probably a similar age with my dad in the days where they still threw darts, at, you know, in the crowd <laughs> yeah. and that. Um, yeah, some stories to tell, but even today, um, my dad and my son and my brother and his boys we all have a family fantasy football and i see my son oscar and his cousins who live in norfolk so we don't see them very often but every week there's a whatsapp group that's talking about the fantasy football this week and so sport is incredibly powerful when it comes to bringing people together but it's a massive community isn't it yeah and and this is you know the reason people get so passionate about uh, whatever team it is they support, the sport itself, is because it is a big community. It's mm. a chance for a lot of people to get together with a common goal, um, with something they are sharing, a shared experience, and that's what essentially going to a to a match, whatever sport you're doing is. Um, and I think that's what the great thing about it is. And there's there's a there's something that you're all passionate about. Um, Sometimes it goes over the top, and not from personal experience, um, it can spoil or not the weekend or the rest of the week, as it may be for for some of you. And when times are good, then there's nothing better. Yeah, yeah. I'm walking around with a spring in my step mm. at the moment, and things are great. And, um, I'm gonna spend most of the next two months not at my house because of all the all the games are going to. But and that that that's great. Yeah, it was going back to the pandemic. Actually, it it was the one thing that I really kind of obvious that I missed going to the game and I realized why it wasn't so much for the football it was for the distraction mm. of you know I said earlier about that I struggled to switch off mm. when I get to the game I don't even think about work for a few hours it's the yeah. one time I don't um, at all and that's what I miss that's yeah. what I missed the most yes you miss the match yes you've been there and, and jumping up and celebrating a goal it's not the same when you're at home um, it, it's fully immersive, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, and, it's the one. You know, well, how many distractions in our lives at the moment? Um, whether it's our phone or everything else that's going off, there's notifications, things like that. I I put my phone into aeroplane mode about half an hour before a game. Yeah, um, and I kind of it's, it's like it doesn't exist for two hours or so, and it's about the only time that it doesn't. And it's really nice. Um, mm. you know, I'd love to have the self-discipline to do it other times and I've tried and I do I know, sometimes you, we, we both listened to that podcast didn't we the, was it the Steve, Stephen Bartlett podcast yes with, with um, Johan Hari yes yeah that was fascinating I think you introduced me to that to him and uh, the different distractions that we all have incredibly powerful podcast yeah, sorry so, I digress no no no, no. So it's, and I think it's, it's an important point because it's that kind of it's that dis- distraction from everything else that's going on that it, it's actually, you know, talking about focus, it's for me anyway, and I'm sure there'll be people better than this than me. It's the one time when I'm only focused on one thing. Yeah. I think the other place, I haven't played a lot of golf, but I can play golf. Yeah. And golf is one of those things because you can't think about anything else when you're playing golf. Um, so I understand why people switch off on the golf course. But just on the, so as you know, I'm, well, I say it many times on here, I'm a Huddersfield Town fan. And um, one of the wonderful, one of the wonderful things I love about sport is learning about, well, seeing the analogies between sport and business, yeah. but also leadership. Mm. And 
I developed a fondness, I suppose, for for Liverpool when David Wagner was our hmm. uh, manager and and head coach because of his relationship with Jurgen Klopp and and. I think the way that was portrayed in the media was was great, actually. But both very authentic leaders, and I just wondered: is that something that you see in Klopp? What what leadership lessons would you take from Klopp? It's really interesting. I've I've, I've read a lot of on him over over the years, and and the one thing he does, and we kind of touched on it earlier, is that he knows that there is lots of experts in different fields. So if you read up on what he's done at, at Liverpool, he's he's brought in the best nutritionists, the best. I mean, there was all that. It was a few years ago they got all derided because they brought a throwing coach into it, which no one had ever done before. But he felt that you bring the best people in to do every single facet of what they do, both on and off the field. And then his job is to pull all that together. He's not the best at doing any of those things. I've heard him say that himself, mm. and I think that is such an important lesson. For anybody in sport or business, and you know, I, I, I'm with you. I think anybody in business, there's a lot we could learn from sport actually, because they're all about that premium, that top level performance at the right times. You know, the, there's the thing with the um, the cycling team, wasn't there? The the one percenters and marginal gains, yeah, marginal gains strategy. and all that kind of stuff, and that's so important. And I think we don't not as much in business think about things like that you know because mm. whilst in a business in, in an environment i guess it is quantifiable to an extent your performance but in sport it is very quantifiable you know you run 100 meters you know exactly to the millisecond how mm. quick and, and they're always trying to slightly improve that and it's very forensic in that way and yeah. all sports are like that to an extent yeah. they've all got a result and an immediate result as in business it might be every year you have your accounts but that often is six months after the event and mm. only once a year. Whereas the sporting environment, it literally can, it could be every day or once a week or whatever, depending on what the sport is. And so they are always looking at slightly improving. And I, and I don't think we do that as a gen, generic mass. I'm talking about everyone there. Some people I'm sure do. But. Yeah, it's it, it brings to mind the, I have on my notice board, actually, I was working with a, a good friend of mine that's a coach and she introduced the Does It Make the Bows does it yep. make the boat yeah, go yeah. faster? And uh, she talked about the British Olympic, I think it was the year they won silver, I don't know, yep. might have got this wrong, but they didn't even go to the opening ceremony because it wasn't going to get, you know, they knew what the outcome was yep. and, and that seems a little extreme, but that's the dedication that you need and maybe, you know, it's those distractions that sometimes take us off course. But, um, you know, I, think, I mean, the thing is... It, it's not saying that we should all be like professional sports people because that's not, it's a very dedicated life. And also quite often for them, it's quite short. Yeah. Um, and selfish. And, and it's very, when I say selfish, I know from my, my time in cricket that th that self-belief and that focus, they are, they do become selfish, but mm. they need to be like, I can remember um, there being a, a big hoo-ha when, Andrew Flintoff once appeared at the airport without his passport and people saying, how can that be? Yeah. And But actually, I knew from the other side that the minute a young player arrived at the club, that all that 
responsibility was taken away from them yep. so that they could focus purely on the performance on the field. So he probably never had to have yeah, his yeah. passport. You know, we used to do everything for them so that they could just um, focus on their performance. And I mean, and that's going back, you know, a number of years. So I would think it is even more heightened these days. Yeah, and like I said, I think, you know, it is the kind of extreme of performance. And mm. like I said, it's, it's generally quite a short shelf life, isn't it? A professional yeah. sportsman, maybe 15 years tops. So it's, it probably is not a completely fair analogy to, to business. But it's funny you mentioned that about the selfishness. So I, um, so one of, one of my sporting heroes is Shane Warne, who obviously unfortunately passed very recently when we were recording this podcast. And mm. um, there's a brilliant documentary on Amazon um, that was released only a few weeks before mm. his death, unfortunately. And, and But he kind of picks up on that and he talks about his relationship with his children and how he was very selfish and, and missed a lot of things. Um, I think there's probably a lot of people listening to this who probably wouldn't be prepared to do that. Mm. I wouldn't be prepared to do that. Um, but there is, you know, on the flip side, there is a lot of things that we can take from that. So it's, I guess it's like anything. When you, you look to learn lessons, maybe don't take everything literally. It's about mm. picking the lessons from using sport. What do they do really well? And that is, like I said, I think it's that marginal gains thing which sporting people do very well. So how can we, in our day-to-day -day normal life, do that, but within a context of, you know, not, I don't know, not seeing your family for six weeks <laughs> or whatever. That, you know, yeah. that's that's not the realistic. Thing. It's, it's within the, the the right parameters of yeah. of what we live. So there is a there's, there's obviously a middle ground to that, and and some people get that right, and some people won't, obviously, but. Um, I do believe there's a lot to learn. And I know both of us are listeners to the High Performance Podcast, mm. which is often sports people on there. And I always find them really fascinating mm. people on how they've lived their lives to get to get where they are. And I think there's, like I said, there's a happy medium. So if you could have been either a footballer or a cricketer, which oh. would you have been? Well, you had more money in football, don't you? So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I... It's, it's interesting. It's, I, I was always a much better footballer and I played at a decent level myself and until I was younger. What um, position did you play? So I was a goalkeeper. Oh, right. Um, okay. I was academy football and all that kind of stuff and played with some um, so some good players over the years and played against some people who've gone and played for England. And various Go on. Like, like who? Um, Jermaine Genus, Ashley Cole, uh, Michael Dawson, some of the players I played with. Did you save any of their goals? Well, they weren't goals, remember, obviously, I, if you save them. But... I remember Jermaine Pennant scoring a hat-trick past me. Um, so he, he was probably the best player in terms of, at his age, how good he was. Um, I was a, and cricket was the kind of thing I just did as a bit of, I just enjoyed it. Um, as I got older, I kind of fell out of love with playing football. And I think part of it is being in that, when that's a whole different story, being in that world when you're younger and that pressure of it. And I kind of fell away from playing that, especially, I mean, I loved it at university, playing football, because it was, it was really high standard, brilliant facilities and, and fun. Um, mm -hmm. But I kind of, after that, fell away from it. But now I still I still play cricket now. I'm sort of approaching 40 and dodgy knees and all that kind of stuff. But I, I just find it more enjoyable. I'm nowhere near as good at it than I was at football, but I just found it a lot more fun. It's, it's a very sociable sport. And probably quite, mm. quite kind of good rounding off coming back to what we were talking about earlier and that the community idea I, yeah. I think cricket clubs and a very community like little communities in their own and you know, my cricket club I've played for pretty much since I was 13 so a lot of years 
um there's still people involved that were involved then that are there yeah. and it is a community and that and that is nice and i don't think that the football world at the lower level has that at all um, from i'm sure some places do but my experience it's not like that so if you'd asked me which i could have done i've been sent forward for liverpool um <laughs> earning two hundred thousand pound a week driving sports cars um if you ask me now what i'd rather do in turn of play i'd rather game of cricket um and have a few pints for the lads afterwards so you've said shane warne as your hero cricket who's your football hero <sighs> It's kind of a different. I said John Barnes was the first for me that kind of got me into the game, but Robbie Fowler. Robbie Fowler was mine. He just because he was a bit of a maverick, and I think as a as a kid that you like that he was obviously a fantastic footballer. I've had the pleasure of meeting him. Um, I don't think I've ever been as nervous in my life <laughs> as a. I was in my thirties when I did it. I was still petrified of meeting him. Um, and was was it because they always say don't meet your heroes, don't they? It, it was it was great. And he um, I went to like a, it was like a sportsman's dinner type yeah. of event, um, and he signed all the shirts. He he signed a I got my, my little boy's very first shirt that he got when he was about well I think he got it before he was actually born, <laughs> and he signed it and personalised it for him, and that's now framed and up on his wall, whether he liked it or not. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he was no, it was great. It was great. Okay, well, I think that's probably the place to leave it. You see, I usually start with the football and cricket. <laughs> um, but by ending with it, I hope I've uh, brought people along with us. So even though you're a Liverpool fan, Mike, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure today. And, um, you know, I recommend anybody to have a look at the Northern Affinity because it is just such a great community. And um, there really are some really special people in it so yeah no, that, that's why it's the people in it that make it yeah it's, it's really really good people and that's that's the key brilliant thanks very much for today thank you Deborah. i hope you've enjoyed today's conversation and i'd love you to join in the conversation as well the best way to do that is through social media and I can be found at Instagram and Twitter at DO underscore impact. If you'd like to sign up for my newsletter or learn more about my monthly membership, The Impact Club, please visit the website at deborahogden.com. enjoyed this episode of on brand with i would so appreciate it if you would rate review and subscribe to help other people know we exist thanks for tuning in and i'll see you on the next episode thanks for listening to on brand with it was hosted by deborah ogden and produced by me anthony short this has been a short stories production